welcome to What Do You Think I'm Out. And I'm C. And we are joined once again with our sneakerhead correspondent, Jay. Say hi, Jay. Hey, guys. Finally, you got it right the first time. Look at you. I know. Now we just have to close it correctly. I know. I'm so proud of myself. I, I no joke. Like before we started, before I added you guys to the to the meeting, I, I was practicing to get it right. But uh, but yeah yeah no. Uh, so Jay is joining us on this episode of What Do You Think to review Ben Affleck's long-awaited return to the director's chair. It's been uh, a minute, folks. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been 2015 was when Live by Night came out, I think. Yikes. And uh, yeah, yikes. <laughs> like, so 20, 2015, 20, 2015 was like the beginning of the end for the affleck where, mm-hmm. you know, Ben Affleck was like at the top of the world. He was like a hot in-demand director. And he had just gone cast as Batman for uh, Batman v Superman. Like he was on top of the world and then Live by Night comes out and everyone just trashes it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, he'll bounce back. He's going to be Batman and he'll probably direct his own Batman movie. And listen, we've done enough episodes about DC projects that you guys probably know the general uh, history lesson of what happened. So we don't have to get into that. But it, it's been a minute. It's been uh, eight years. He had a rough couple of years in there, too, though. Yeah, well, yeah, in his personal life as well. <clears throat> yeah. Keep in mind. But he like, became a meme, and not in a good way. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. He did become a meme. He I was told- the new sad Keanu meme in a way. Holy shit. You guys are right. I totally forgot about that. I I, I, I didn't even have that in my notes. God. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. And he was like, he had like a couple memes. It was like the smoking Ben meme. And then it was like the Duncan Ben meme. Like You guys oh, remember that right. one? Where I don't like, remember that. I remember mm. the smoking Ben meme. The, but now the, he's in Duncan commercials. Yeah, he is. He totally Which is, is. It's paid off. I mean, good for him, you know? No, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, listen, uh, not to make light, he obviously went through a really, really tough few years, divorce, uh, relapse, and uh, but, you know, he bounced back. He uh, he hooked up with an ex, a really hot ex. Uh, <laughs> and married um, her. Yeah. He, he made a he, – he finally – he feels like he finally got the role of Batman right. We'll see if we agree with him when uh, Flash comes out. Oh, is uh, that what he thinks? Is that when he thinks he got it right? Yeah, when he's like, not even playing Batman. Uh, well, so ironically enough, there's, a, and I'm really sorry, I don't know the name of the podcast. He was on a podcast like last month, where mm-hmm. he talked about like on in his performance as Batman in the Flash, it it finally clicked. He goes like, "Oh, this is how I'm supposed to play Batman," and that for a split second. Uh, relatively speaking, he thought, you know, I could do this again. But obviously, mm-hmm. you know, James Gunn's now in charge of the DCEU, so that's not going to happen. But yeah. a little bit of irony that in his la- in his I, confirmed I last... I hate him as Batman. I just hated the movies he was in as Batman. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I, I, I and, and, you know, there's a lot of debate about, like, which Batman is the best Batman and all that. And, and I just think Ben Affleck got... A bad rap and wasn't ever given the right opportunity to prove he could be the good of the best Batman. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I agree with you there. Um, mm-hmm. I liked, I I liked his. I I, ne- I never had a problem with it. Well, actually, I had a big problem with his Batman and Joss Whedon's uh, Justice League, but 
the way he was played in Zack Snyder's Justice League, I I was perfectly fine with. Um, but mm-hmm. on the other on the other side of that, uh, so you know, it's been a while, it's been eight years since he's been behind the camera. Uh, on the other side of that, his writing partner Matt Damon, you know, his I'm not saying his career floundered in that same time span, but he wasn't he was not the draw that he used to be. And of course, that happens when you get older as a performer. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's around the same time that the Jason Bourne movie came out. And, and if I'm not mistaken, that was a flop. Uh, it, the well, biggest well, thing it about happens... it was the meme. Yeah, the meme. Yeah. And it happens It happens to actors who get older and don't look like Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. That's you're right. true. Yeah. That's you're right. what does you know. it. You know, he was kind of getting regulated to like cameo appearances and Steven Soderbergh projects. Mm-hmm. Um, like... Yeah, he yeah, he he was kind of he was kind of being pushed into like, oh, you're no longer a leading man. You're not even really a character actor anymore. You're just kind of the guy that we're like, oh, this guy that everybody remembers from the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, let's put him in there just for nostalgia's sake. But, mm-hmm. you know, so his career kind of wasn't going anywhere. Um and that was kind of the situation Damon and Affleck found themselves in and you know, these guys have known each other since they were literally 8 years old. Yeah. Um, hadn't really worked together on a writing project since Goodwill Hunting. Um, haven't acted together since. Um, what was it? Uh, I think it was a Kevin Smith movie, but I, I I don't know if it was Dogma or no, it was Dog- Jane's. It was I think it was Jane Silent Bob. Jane Silent Bob. Jane yeah, Silent Jane, Bob. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Jane Silent Bob. Um, so they finally worked together. And they write uh, a movie that, Jay, I actually never knew what was your thoughts on it, but me and C loved it, called The Last Duel. They wrote it. Uh, they were they collaborated with uh, Ridley Scott, who directed it, uh, brought on Adam Driver to act opposite uh, of Matt Damon, and brought in Jodie Comer to be really and truly like the key role of the whole project. And listen, the movie was a bomb. There's no way to cut it. It, it, it was a big bomb. But but reviews but. gave it. And, and that's not just from Al and I. Reviews loved this fucking thing. And with good reason. Yeah. And it, it kind of reestablished that like, oh, Ben Affleck can act. Matt Damon has great presence. and But that movie, you got to remember, also brought up a big discussion of what does it, what makes a hit movie anymore? Because this was a movie with a huge cast and big director, big everything, and it tanked. But I hope it becomes a cult hit. I really do. do. But I, I just don't know yet. Like like many of Ridley Scott's movies, I hope they become cult hits. So, uh, Jay, what did you think of that movie? Uh, I loved it. I really thought it was unique in how they portrayed the story and and you know th- from three different points of view and you know that's a that's an actor's wet dream right there getting to play the same character but do it in multiple different ways um you know getting to really explore it and 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 it's it's you know it's set in the middle ages but it's also still relevant to today of of how you know perception is key and point of view is key and everything and mm-hmm. Uh, it ends pretty well. It it like the the uh third act is pretty solid too. So yeah, I really enjoyed the last duel. It was it was definitely an underrated surprise for me. Yeah. So um, turns out Ben Affleck and Matt Damon realized, wow, we I really like collaborating with my best friend. <laughs> so and 
And you would think they would have done this years ago. They form a production company. Mm-hmm. They form a production company, and uh, they their first project under this new banner uh, was a, a blacklist script that they both really liked called Air, or it was called Air Jordan um, in, in when it was on the blacklist. <clears throat> so so basically, just to give you guys some background on on the on the Air Jordan screenplay, uh, this really young writer moves to Hollywood, tries to make it, doesn't get anything sold, can't seem to get on any list, and is like on the verge of quitting because the pandemic hits. And he's like, everything in California is shut down. He's not making any money whatsoever. This writer's name is Alex Covernry. Let me see if I can pronounce his last name. Covery? Convery. Convery. Alex Convery. So Alex Convery is literally like, okay, uh, after my lease is up, I'm moving back home. I, I failed as a writer in Hollywood. This is June 2020. Uh, the, the last dance documentary is released by ESPN and Netflix. He watches it and is totally entranced. I mean, he knew about Michael Jordan. Obviously, Michael Jordan is considered the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, but just seeing like up close, just how larger than life he was really inspired him. Um, and it inspired him to be, to say, I want to write a movie about Michael Jordan. So, uh, then he realized, oh, Michael Jordan owns the rights to his image and his life story. And he very, very, very much does not want to just give that, those rights to anyone. Um, it would have to be like a giant studio who can financially pay for it. So his idea is, well, this the, the, the highest this thing will ever go is probably like a, a Sundance workshop. Maybe we make it and it, it plays in like the indie film festivals. So what angle can I do to tell this story but not necessarily have to pay the gigantic fee to get the rights to Michael's story. And the angle he found was the story of how Nike convinced Michael Jordan to sign with them in 1984, the year he was drafted by the Chicago Bulls. He writes it, does all his research, really meticulous research, and he basically submits it for the blacklists and it wins the 2021 blacklist, or it doesn't win, it gets on the 2021 blacklist. Never in this writer, Alex Coventry's highest dreams, craziest dreams, would he ever imagine that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon would have the script in their hands, read it, love it, and want to produce it themselves. Um, they, they did an uncredited rewrite that added, that added the Jordan family uh, added uh, a couple characters that weren't in the original uh, blacklist draft. And then um, Ben Affleck called Michael Jordan and said, listen, we don't have to, I know we're not legally obligated to have your permission to make this movie, but I don't want to make it if you're not cool with it because you know, you are, we're friends and you're, you're an idol of mine. And Michael Jordan said, listen, I think it's an interesting story to tell. You have my permission to tell it, but 
Viola Davis has to play my mother. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's in all like the, when they did the press rounds for this movie, it's a story they told over and over again. Uh, then Ben Affleck and Matt Damon had to convince Viola Davis to play, uh, to play uh, uh, Michael Jordan's mom. And Viola Davis says, I'll, 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 I'll play the role if my husband, husband plays Michael Jordan's dad. And uh, here we are. <laughs> Uh, air air was released uh, last weekend uh and before we get into our review of the movie my big question for you two is when you heard the pitch what did you guys think what, what was your immediate thought when you heard that this isn't a traditional biopic about michael jordan but uh, uh a dramatic adaptation of when nike tried to sign away Jordan from Adidas. Jay, since you're, I guess you go first, as always. Well, this is actually a conversation C and I had uh, prior to when we saw this. Um, my thought was more about what kind of age of storytelling we're in. Because you have Air, and then later this year you have Barbie, and and... It just seems like we're we're coming to a point where we're not rebooting or doing 30, uh, 30 year sequels. We're now telling stories about the products we used to love or products we still love, like Air Jordans. Um, so that was that was my kind of thought. Like like what what kind of what what is this going to set up for the future of movies um really um I, the i mean and that was really it until i saw the cast i wasn't particularly interested but then i saw the cast and i was like okay okay this is something this could be uh pretty good and i got excited for it so i See? i think i was on a similar wavelength where when I first heard about the movie, as as Jay said, we did have that talk about how there are these literal movies about things or products. Um, you've got the story behind Tetris. You've got the Blackberry movie. Um, prior to that, they were already doing toys for years. Um, so when I first heard about it, um, I actually talked to my dad a while back and I said to him, it's like, this is before we saw it. And I asked him, do you think it's going to be a good movie? And he just goes, I don't see how it can be. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he basically explained like, you know, he sort of felt like we all want to know about Michael Jordan. Why do we want to know so badly about his shoes? Um, and while I admit that was the boomer's pers boomer perspective, I realized that in certain ways there is a potential where if these movies about products aren't done really well, then you're going to alienate any generation that this product didn't entice. Like, otherwise, the generation after is not going to be into it, the generation before is not going to be into it. Um, but I had... And I was still interested in it, again, because of the cast. Um, so I was willing to give it a shot. And 
Uh, I was, well, I'll get into my review of it, but I have to say it did, it definitely smashed my expectations in a lot of ways. But I think, I think Jay touched on this, of course, is that we're in a very interesting time of cinema and the quality of these movies is really going to determine the longevity of all of, of this what is possibly a new era coming out in Hollywood. Can I can I answer your dad really quick? Sure. Like like straight to your dad. Yeah. Um, he's li- he's going to listen. I know. He's going to listen. Like the reason we want to know this story is because it's the shoe that made Michael Jordan a billionaire. It's not the basketball, it's not the commercials, it's not anything else. It's the shoe that made Michael a billionaire. And that's, I think, is like the success story people wanted to hear. Mm. So. So. Okay. When I first heard about Air, all I heard was Michael Jordan movie directed by Ben Affleck. That, or or I, there was more, but that's the only thing my brain registered. And <laughs> listen, folks, um, I am a like died in the wool Chicago Bulls fan. Like I, I I'm primarily a football guy, so I'm a I'm a bigger Bears fan. But like just to put in perspective, you know, my. My earliest childhood memories is literally dominated by the Bulls red red and black like like some of the happiest moments of my of my early early childhood is very much images of Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman uh uh and um and Michael Jordan. Like and when you meet someone who is a Chicago Bulls fan who remembers the dynasty of the nineties, like anything, anything, Michael Jordan, I'm like, they'll be like, yes, we don't care straight to our veins. Um, so, so I was like, I, I was hyped. I literally just heard Michael Jordan movie, Ben Affleck. And I was like, yes, I, I love it. And then I actually paid attention to the pitch, to the log line. And actually, I, I don't know if it was C or another friend of ours, C. I literally go like, that sounds kind of stupid. <laughs> um, be, because like, you know, being a Chicago Bulls fan also makes you an official Michael Jordan historian. Mm. And as as far as far as the story has already or always been told was that um was that uh Nike basically said, "Oh yeah, we'll give you a car on top of the offer." And Michael Jordan was like, "Ooh, a car." Uh that's as far as as the story that that I knew and that's kind of what most Bulls fans know about the story. Um but then I remembered that kind of Jay and C to your talk about products. Like that yeah, it seems like we're seeing more and more movies about you know, at first it was movies about inventors uh, and about inventors creating a, a product that made them famous. Obviously, the two big examples are The Social Network and um, and Jobs, both written by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, but now we were getting movies about just the launch of products where where the inventor 
or the key people involved in the products aren't necessarily the focus of the movie. The focus of the movie is is trying to get this product out itself or trying to create this thing is what we're seeing now. But then I remembered that a lot of prestige television has been about trying to launch a product. Um, in this case, it's usually because something's messed up and the product's a flawed product. Uh, but the big example that comes to mind was um, uh, uh, the one about Theranos, the... Um, Oh, um, the show on Hulu? Yeah, the show on Hulu. Um, the Dropout. The Dropout, right? Which was about trying to launch try, trying to launch the, uh, it was called the Edison, I think, and the other failure of that. And I thought, okay, well, if, and I know that story is very specific to making, what is what makes it compelling. But I'm like, okay, if the failure and the crimes that come out of the, the failed launch of a product is compelling, why wouldn't a successful launch of a product that Jay, as you said, created the first athlete billionaire, why wouldn't that be compelling as well? And I decided to give this movie a chance. You know, I decided to give this movie a chance. And, and the big reason was because of that. And just because like, quite frankly, outside of live by night, Ben Affleck had consistently impressed me with his uh, directing efforts. I mean, I mean, Gone Baby Gone, The Town, Argo. That's like, it. Like, no, I know. It's impressive. It is impressive. It, it, it was impressive. And I'm like, this this guy knows how to direct. And like the last time uh, uh, ben, ben Affleck and Matt Damon did a writing job together, we got The Last Duel, which I think was was one of Ridley Scott's best en- entries in his over. So yeah, I decided to give this movie a chance. Yes, the the concept of like, it, it didn't help when I heard like, oh, by the way, Michael Jordan is not really in it. That still bummed me out a bit because I, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, I wonder how, how do you play Michael Jordan? Like, I, I, I'm just, I really want to see how an actor would approach that. And it, it was kind of a missed opportunity, but I get it. You know, any project involving Michael's likeness, he has to be involved and you got to pay him a lot of money to get permission to do that. And, you know, this isn't a giant budgeted like blockbuster. This is like kind of a mid range drama, I guess. So, so I got it. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm not, I'm not going in this wanting to dislike the movie is, was my thought. Um, so how about guys, we uh, watch the trailer and then uh, we give our reviews. Sounds good. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down, our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA all-star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. My name's Sonny Vaccaro. I'm with Nike. Do you typically make it a habit of showing up at people's front doors unannounced? I don't like to take no for an answer. Oh, man. Here we go. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. 
Yeah, okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. Don't change that now. For a rookie? Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie, yeah. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. Your motor You have our attention. I believe in your son. I believe he's the future. And his story is gonna make us want to fly. But a shoe is just a shoe. Until my son steps into it. Got a name for it? Air Jordan. I don't know. Seriously? Maybe it'll grow on me. Solid trailer. Just Very wanted solid. to add that Ben Affleck plays the 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 dad of the guy who directed quite possibly uh, one of the best stop stop motion animated movies of what? all time with uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. Wait, wait, wait! You're saying the son, his father is that is the CEO of Nike? Yeah, I mean he's a nepo baby straight up, but he's probably. The most successful, critically successful Nepo baby. <laughs> oh my god, that made that just made me so mad. But okay, that's not what this is about. Uh, that's, okay. All right, uh, Jay, uh, you're our guest, so you give off your first thoughts. Oh man, first thoughts. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be comparing this to to other movies we've talked about uh, this year, but like first and foremost, like. This is just story structure one on one. You come in, you get, you have a need, you have a, a a plan of action, you raise the stakes, and then you follow through. And you know this is really just an office drama, but it's really well executed office drama, um, with with multiple people's jobs on the line, um. Man, I'm kind of like freezing up here. Uh, Do you want me to jump in? Go ahead, and I'll come. I'll come back to it. Sure, 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 sure. So, I'd like to open with a bit of a gripe, not about the movie, but at the view, but about the viewing experience Jay and I had. And this, this, <laughs> this is oh, yeah. to be to be clear. This speaks to the quality of the movie. Okay, I would obviously, Al, Jay. I would never, never shit on a movie based on the quality of experience that I had while viewing it. However, <laughs> we went to our local theater and it was just little problem after little problem. They didn't start the trailers. We went back there. We told them they start the movie, but they don't get the fr- they don't uh, adjust the aspect ratio. So we're watching the damn thing with trailer aspect ratio the entire fucking time. So we're yeah, watching it was, like it was cut in a bit. Yeah. So we're watching some heads be chopped off uh, every once in a while, 
and if the occasional like little uh little slug tagline cut out or half gone but you know what we're not going to complain oh but wait for it there's some couple next to jay who i can hear which must have been for jay he awful. must have known what they were talking about it was awful yeah uh, sure. and, and, and the worst part this is what i hate about assigned seating theaters this there's plenty of room plenty of room Every every group in that theater could have had a row to themselves, and yet they sat right next to me. Yeah. And keep in mind, we didn't move because when we reserved, we picked the two middle seats. Oh, that's another thing. I fucked up in reviewing in ordering the tickets and ordered the night before and didn't realize it till like an hour before. So I had to swallow my pride. Now I am a, I have one of those you know pass. Uh, I'm not gonna say which chain, but. I have, a, I have a pass to one of the major theater chains. So I, you know, at the end of the day, it was like, at the end of the day, I was buying my ticket for the first time at the end. So it's like, okay, fine. Um, I bit the bullet there. But it's like, I go in with that, and then we sit down. They don't start the trailers. They don't frame it right. This jackass couple does not stop talking the entire time. And do you know what? I still had a good time. I still liked the movie, which really speaks volumes to its quality. Because when the world is begging me to like not pay attention, I'm still in it. This movie, it did so much with arguably so little. And I'm not just talking about the plot, although in certain ways you can. Because at the end of the day, the, Al, you actually mentioned that the simple version of this plot was that Nike bought him a car. That, that's the simple version of this. They got him a car, the end, then the greatest shoe ever made was born via the power of a legend. But what you then learn is, and I, I don't know how much of this was true, but based on you saying there was a ton of research done, it was... This mid-sized companies, they were no longer a company. They were making something that was art. There are rare cases when a, a large company comes together and makes a product, movie, toy, or something else. And they're like, you know what? Let's not worry about the money. Let's make this the best damn thing we can. And, and, and there's cases where that sadly fails. And there's cases where it succeeds. And you realize this is a moment where it truly succeeded. And you, they're honest though. They don't like try to suggest that the company's going to go under. But what they do suggest is that like sort of the original passion of this company is, is going away. It, it, it's dying out because it's just not making money. You know, they're going to no longer... The company, at the time, they talked about how they were running shoes and only a certain demographic was buying them. They weren't very cool. And they were, the CEO, played by Ben Affleck, very well, by the way, is like starting to accept that. But then it's one guy, played by Matt Damon, also done very well, who like takes the odds, takes a huge gamble, a huge risk, and it pays off both 
financially, obviously, and emotionally, too. Because as you guys said, we know the ending of this. We know a ton of money is made. But it... It's like... Okay, I am not saying this is good as the social network. Let me be very clear about that. That is not what I'm saying. But it did raise the stakes in a way that was just as good. And it, 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 it did it in just, in just as a superior way. Um, I have some other things I'll say, but that's really my open... That's like my main broad thoughts on it. Um, I guess I'll ask any thoughts to my thoughts or anyone want to jump in. Like, Jay, do you have any thoughts to add or anything you want to say there? Well, I can get back to where I was going. Sure. Um, this is, you know, I mean, story structure one on one. Um, I'm going to compare this to Cocaine Bear, okay? And and you guys know how I feel about Cocaine Bear. Um, it's interesting because on paper, Cocaine Bear is a better idea than Air, but in execution, Air is a way better movie than Cocaine Bear, and the reason being is because. They didn't, they didn't get ahead of themselves. They didn't try to overexert themselves. They stuck to the central idea and just followed that singular thread uh, all the way through, and then worked their characters into it. Um, I, I, ultimately, I don't know if I wanted to follow Matt Damon the whole way through, but that's what happened, and and it works out. Um, they it's interesting to to see how crazy of an idea this was was for them to get Michael Jordan um and it makes sense with with what Converse and Adidas were doing in the 80s too um but you know the the performances in this movie are what carries it um excellent performance by Chris Tucker who is not in enough projects uh solid solid go around for jason bateman um uh viola davis is always good this was a very subtle performance for her and and it didn't need to be any more than it was and i think she knew that and i think that's like like because because i i told c this like the night we watched it she can take over a scene but she didn't have to here. She she was able to play opposite to Matt Damon and and build that back and forth very well. Um, so just and, so, something I want to add about Viola Davis. Uh, no joke, her odds of getting nominated for Best Supporting Actress are actually decently high right now. Like like actual Vegas odds. <laughs> I can buy that. Yeah. Like... like I'm just a little surprised that this early in the year and already she's getting good odds. She could be the yeah. next Meryl Streep, you know, like getting nominated every year kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't put that past her. Um, it's interesting. Like, this is not, this is not the popcorn blockbuster kind of movie that mass audiences want to see. But it, this is, this is mostly just people having conversations but it works and it gets your attention and it keeps you interested and and it keeps you invested, especially in the stakes with what's going on. And 
ultimately, I, I really came out really liking this movie. I like the film uh, feel to this. And I, I totally see this too. First of all, listeners, C and I are roommates, so like, we talk all the time. But one thing I really loved about this was that they set the movie in the 80s and they didn't make the 80s the movie. One thing that Stranger Things does a lot is they they bring out an old nostalgic 80s thing and like, hey, remember this? We're putting this in the show. But here, like, you just exist in the 80s. You exist in that 7-Eleven in 1984. You exist in in that 1984 Porsche. You, you know, uh, they don't they don't rub the 80s in your face. And that was mm, chef's kiss to that because that's. That's how it's, that's how you should be doing it. Um, so as far as like a period piece, like they they knocked it out of the park. Um, yeah, go ahead, Al. Listen, I I knew I, full disclosure, folks. Like Michael Jordan means a lot to me, like a lot. Um, C, C and J know this, that Michael Jordan, w- w- you know, you always get asked who's the, who's like the famous person that if you were to meet, you would cry, you know, like, and usually the popular answer is like, oh, if I, if I meet Obama or, oh, if I meet, um, uh, uh, the Pope, right. Stuff like that. I, without a doubt, I was like, it's Michael Jordan. It really is. Cause he, he. He meant he meant a lot to my to my to my to my like true childhood, you know, my my first images of of like what it means, like of greatness is him. So anything involving him, even tangentially, I'm, I'm always going to have like a bias towards. Um, and listen, Jay, Jay and Sierra totally right. This like I applaud Alex Con- Convery for uh for writing just like a, just a really well well structured script, you know, you don't see that that often anymore, you know, you don't you don't you don't see that because people want some sort of flourish to it. When really and truly, if you and this is this is a basketball analogy, when you get the fundamentals down, you're gonna succeed. Um, but then the rewrite that added the flourishes that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are just experts at, and then uh, Jay, like you said, just the the expert way which Ben Affleck directed this, getting the most efficient performances out of his actors, you know that just made this such a enjoyable watch. You know you're watching something, you're not exhausted because it's joke 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 joke, you're not bored because it's just monologue monologue monologue, you're not like you're not like stressed out because it's overtly edited just to squeeze out all that tension. It's like perfectly balanced, like the Thanos knife, right? It's great. But what established this film as probably one of my favorites of, of the, of the year was that Michael Jordan is not in this as a character. His mother, Dolores is, uh, Dolores Jordan. Um, then how do you get across of how big a deal Michael Jordan's going to be? And there's pretty much just two actors who are given a very, very big job of 
you got to convince us that this guy is great. And that's Matt Damon who plays the, who plays Sony Vaccaro, who's kind of like the talent scout to find like the athletes that Nike's going to Nike, Nike's going to have under their, under their tent. And uh, Viola Davis is Dolores Jordan. There are, <laughs> there are scenes where, where Matt Damon's character has to convince a boardroom of incredulous execs why they need to hire Michael Jordan, why they need to bring Michael Jordan into the Nike family. And there was one particular monologue towards the third act that pretty much encapsulated what every every Chicago Bulls fan sees in Michael Jordan. And what just, everyone sees, really. Yeah. And just just the greatness that that you got to experience when you watched him on screen. And that's when I knew that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and Alex Coventry really, really, really got like this. This isn't just about the shoe. It's about what the shoe represented to millions and millions of people during that time. And, and, and now, and uh, when Viola Davis has her moment where she's explaining why she's, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but she, she takes a position that uh, Matt Damon's character is like, that's that's not going to happen, man. That's just that's not how things are done. And when she explains why she has to take that position, it's just it's 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 one of those things where you're like, wow, this movie gets why. Like, yeah, it's a shoe, but it says until Michael Jordan steps into it, it means something so much more. And like, and again, you know, it's, it's a shoe, but, but that element of the movie, which I honestly thought was going to be really hokey because I sit down and I just go, I know they're going to try to explain to us why Michael Jordan's a big deal. They're probably going to fail at it because ultimately this is a story about a shoe, about making a shoe. And Matt Damon and Viola Davis just did such a good job. Uh, the writers did a great job to not make it hokey. Ben Affleck did an amazing job directing it to get just the right amount of pathos from their performances that, that yeah, when you walk out of there, you just remember like, oh yeah, Michael Jordan's the goat and he always will be the goat. And I, I love the movie for that. I really do because that's where I thought the movie was going to falter. And in my opinion, it ended up being the strongest element of the movie. I want to add... And, and just to, just to, sorry, just to yeah. like further answer for your dad see like like this deal did change uh uh sports forever you mm -hmm. know it, it ultimately led to what is mentioned at the end of this movie like the nil uh rules in college now it it it, it changed how shoe deals were done it changed how shoe marketing was done mm -hmm. um and and created this this just multi-billion dollar business that it is today. And look, credit to him. He's a, he's a huge basketball fan. So he'll, I, I hope this will convince him to give it a shot. But one thing I wanted to add that I've now like, I've become more and more convinced with a couple of, with now three movies I've seen. Uh, one being uh, The Last Duel, also Air, and then actually, I, w I was sick the other day, and I spent the day watching a movie called uh, State of Play, uh, which was is, it was an interesting sort of like a political thriller, I guess you could say. 
And in all three movies, Ben Affleck plays a supporting role. And not that Ben Affleck is bad at lead, I'm not saying that, but you know, some people make fun of him for the kind of way he plays his lead role sometimes. But for some reason, at least in these movies, and I think it's becoming a bit of a thing, he flourishes in a supporting role, uh, a slightly more unique or even complicated role. He really flourishes in that. He was really good as the odd, but also very human CEO of Nike. Um, He's fantastic as his supporting character in The Last Duel, which I think I think there was word that he didn't actually want to play that role, but turns out he was he was incredible. So I think this is continuing to highlight a new strength for him that I hope he decides to keep pursuing just for the depth uh, that he could uh, bring. Truly, I think I, there's something I, there. I honestly think a very underrated element of Ben Affleck's skills as a director is that he knows he knows the right actor for the role. He, he I don't know how he does it. His casting director might be quite possibly one of the best in Hollywood, but I've never watched a Ben Affleck directed movie. Like even even Live by Night, I was like the actors are good for this role. This movie's just really slow. But like like cuz here here's the thing. This this cast outside of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Viola Davis it's all character actors, all of mm-hmm. them. And like this, the, the role of the VP of marketing for Jason Bateman is low key. One of the better roles I've seen Jason Bateman in because, you know, he, especially in like Hollywood movie projects, he gets typecast as kind of like the snarky asshole friend or snarky asshole supporting character. Like you see it over and over and over again. And in this one, it's kind of a, a a bit of a subversion of that, like, like the VP the VP of marketing is snarky, but he's never an asshole, and he he's actually very reasonable when he shows skepticism over the idea of giving the entire Nike shoe budget to just one athlete, like, and I was like, wow, I I've never seen Jason Bateman in a in a Hollywood role where like he's low key like really reasonable and not just like annoying. And I really appreciated that. Um, That's another thing. I'm sorry. the The biggest asshole in the movie was Michael Jordan's agent, but he had one of the greatest. Oh my god! I, I was just about moments to go there. in the movie. Oh my god! Chris, Chris Messina, like he's he's really developed a, a niche for himself in his in this part of his career, where where he just he's always playing like he's always playing like just these larger than life characters in every project he's he's been in like he was he was his ass in birds of prey he was the mob lawyer in uh in um uh, what was that netflix movie about the uh, with, with peter dinklage and rosamund pike oh uh, i care a lot i care a lot he was great in that and in this one he had quite possibly one of the best rants of the year i was laughing so hard i couldn't breathe what about you guys well, I mean, go back to Jason Bateman. His his monologue about Sundays with his daughter was probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, 
I didn't really care about the agent. I I I thought that was the one role that went over the top, but it was supposed to be over the top. Um, he's a comedic relief. That eh, yeah, it's fair. But like, it, when talking about everyone else in the in this movie, I don't really think about him. Mm. <laughs> if that's if that's anything. Um, did you notice how how like the the pitch team is kind of the triangle with Phil Knight coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah. so C and listeners, if you don't know, like the yeah. triangle was what made the nineties bulls so successful with, with Jordan Pippen and Rodman and oh, how they, they played, they reference how they this played in the last their... dance. Don't they? They reference that. I think. What? The the last dance uh, documentary series. There, there there's a there's an episode. Oh yeah yeah sorry sorry I I was I was thinking you were talking about the last duel again. Oh I'm sorry. god but, yeah. I'm not that yeah, yeah no yeah. exactly yeah but it was it was like notoriously um, the game the game plan that won them all those championships. Yeah. So the board meeting scene, which obviously had the incredibly emotional monologue, one thing it did really well, and usually you only see in like comedies frankly, like The Office or other things like it. And they 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 extend it in a glorious way and in, in, in its own way. But in a very realistic moment, they decided to show how usually these like CEO presentations are kind of a shit show. And I also liked from what little we saw of the other shoe presentations from the other companies, this was the most like, hacked and put together at last minute or at least that's how it came off um like with the ceo's insistence like pure insistence that they played the video because somehow he worked really hard on it and he's like i need to show them that and then like he was going wrong and you're losing them and you're even losing the audience at one point and then like matt damon comes in and just does his matt damon thing and give Two minutes of inspiration, and it fucking works. What you know, he wore a fat suit for this. Yes, he did. <laughs> he wore he wore a fat suit because, in his own words, that in his own words, why destroy your body for like, why destroy your body like for two months or for three months for a one month shoot. And then it takes like five years to get it back into shape. Like, like, like I think Christian Bale, like when they worked on 4v Ferrari was like, he, he saw Christian Bale. He's like, you know what? I'm not doing that to myself. Yeah. Well, everyone um, saw Christian Bale and was like, I'm not doing that to myself. Something, something I loved about that scene though, was the, 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 the pitch meeting scene was like, and I, I was kind of surprised. I, I had forgotten like, how well Ben Affleck can do like, like the uh, comedy. Like, oh, like yeah. he was hilarious. Well, he's, friends, he's friends with Kevin Smith. People forget he, that. Yeah. But you just forget. Cause he, he does these little physical flourishes, <laughs> like, physical flourishes where he's like making intense eye contact with the Jordan family. Yeah. And it's just hilarious when you're, when he goes like, cause I'm, I'm the CEO. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> that was real. I forgot. I was like, I would, I am so sorry that I am late because I am the CEO. And that is this important to me. Right guys. And it's just so oh, and, like, and, incredibly and then, awkward. Like, 
And then Chris, oh, Chris Tucker, Jay, I, I, I love how you mentioned Chris Tucker because he's not in the, here enough for me. Um, and it's kind of frustrating that he wasn't in the original blacklist draft that Jordan had to explicitly ask for this, for, for, for this, the guy who's the VP of the Jordan brand in Nike, Howard white to ask to add him in yeah. there because he was pretty much, he's pretty much like the guy who made the Jordan brand into what it is today. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm glad he's in there. Yeah. And, these, and, and Chris Tucker things... and, and Howard white are friends in real life. So, so he had a lot of freedom to, to act how he felt he felt he needed to act too. Yeah, and and I love that Ben Affleck made the very smart choice because you know, uh, uh, listen, Ben Affleck is not uh, it doesn't make comedies up until this point. He has only made like thrillers, so imagine him being him having to be like, okay, I'm gonna let Chris Tucker ad lib. Like for any director, that's that's a scary thing because then you're like, maybe none of it is is usable, mm -hmm. but like Chris Tucker is one of the best ad libbers in the business, like. It's literally why he's also one of the most priciest actors to, to hire out because he's just so good at what he does. And yeah, every scene where he was just let loose, it was just so funny, you know? Oh, yeah. Also, that scene with Marlon Wayans was awesome. Dude, Marlon Wayans. That... There's one scene, like one simple scene at a bar, but you, at the end of it, like it adds so much weight to the film that... I, oh my god! I okay. I don't know about you guys, and I'm a little ashamed because I'm a I'm a bit of a history buff. Uh, when I saw that scene, I was like, "That was totally made up." That's that really like, I was like, "Oh, movie, don't leave a bad taste in my mouth." Where you made up something so egregious, and then the movie ends, and we get confirmation that it was real, and I'm like, "Holy shit! I'm hyped! I'm hyped!" <laughs> Yeah, that's. I think the movie needed to include all those moments because it's like unbelievable otherwise. Um, and listen, um, so Jordan, Michael Jordan as a character is not in this movie. All we get are are like basically like a like one a stand, line, two lines, but like a stand-in performer, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. So the stand-in performer, his name is Damian Delano Young. Right. We never see his face. We always see him from behind, or we always just see his silhouette. Listen, the very few times we see the guy, his physical performance and just showing how uncomfortable and bored he is being in these meetings, like like the way his shoulders just sag when he's seeing the subpar highlight reel of his career in a, in a UNC. I was like, whoa, this this guy like I, it, it's a shame that, you know, it wasn't a proper role because. His his little his physicality flourishes were just I thought were really well done and I think he should get he should be get recognized for that. Well, I hope someone like sees that or maybe when the when Ben Affleck and Matt Damon make another movie they find a reasonable role for him and like L listen we'll show your face this time, buddy. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe something. So you guys have any other thoughts you want to give? Jay, anything? I mean, just this is just you know. This is something you could teach. This is something you could teach off of as far as like story structure and how to contain your story and and follow through with everything and and let the performances do all the work, you know. Um you, you know, I mentioned Cocaine Bear earlier, like Cocaine Bear didn't let the performances work. It didn't 
contain the story to one single thread. It it was all over the place, and that's why it doesn't work. But here it works because you you have your space and you just let people work in, within it. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I've got. Should we give our final reviews, fellas? One uh, one thing I want to add before we give our final reviews. One one last little yeah. thing. Um, the so. Jay, I totally agree with you that one of the underrated elements of this movie is that it takes place in the 80s, but it doesn't just throw it in your face that this is the 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, the soundtrack, on the other hand, very much wants you to know that this is in the 80s. But they were they were I mean, a lot of them were kind of like your you're like, oh, yeah, this is kind of your standard 80s playlist. But they were like, but you can little... do that because that's what 80s movies did. As well, yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna go like there. the eighty. The 80s loved themselves so well, much. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, the the soundtrack. They were like, there's like these little. They were like these songs. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that song was in the eighties, and and it was never. I feel like the soundtrack was never. We're including this because it's so eighties, but that it really was. We're including this because it fits the scene and it fits kind of what we're trying to do, with this movie. So and and again. That that's that shows you how good of a filmmaker Ben Affleck is, is that he doesn't do like the admittedly lazy thing of like, what's the most eighties thing we can throw on the screen to make this thing more, in, visually interesting? I guess. Well, one thing I'll add to that a little bit, and I mentioned this to Jay as we were leaving the theater. So the best example of the eighties setting they did was the Seven Eleven, um, specifically. Because if you look throughout it, and they did something that very few other genre films do, of at least the, you know, a genre film that takes place in the 20th century, a lot of them are bad, are bad. Like, if they include something from the 70s, it's dressed, everything's dressed in 70s to the 9s. With, like, giant collars. Yeah. As Jay said, with, um, with Stranger Things, it's like, look at the 80s, look at it, like... Without a doubt, that's what that show does. But one very fascinating thing that is evident in this movie is you not only see things from the 80s, you see things from earlier decades that would have still been around in the 80s. It's not a, it wasn't a mistake like you sometimes get with really old period pieces where they didn't know that something was made like 20 years ago or 20 years after. But literally in the 7-Eleven, you see certain ads for certain like drinks or it was either a slushy or a drink that clearly was more from the 70s, but that it stuck around. And there was other things, too, where you're like, oh, wait, because it was it was a time of transition. Like nothing, nothing from one decade to the next decade completely goes away. It maybe evolves or changes, but it never completely goes away. And that's something I have not seen in a movie like this. Um, I even told, I would say the only movie that got as close with such a specific decade was mid nineties. But even that movie like had plenty of other issues that I won't mention, but it was that subtle detail, but also making it look livable that also I'll put it this way. This 80s had history. It had yeah. history, and, and you don't see that a lot with other genre movies within the 20th, 20th century genre movies. 
Yeah. Like I'm looking at the soundtrack right now and all this is stuff that doesn't, the only song in this soundtrack that screams eighties in your face is time after time. And that's it. <laughs> uh, everything mm-hmm. else is like stuff that you're like, Oh yeah, that came out in the eighties. I totally forgot. Um, yeah. All right. So Jay, you know how this works. Give us your rating. Well, as of right now, as of April, first of all, first of all, the release date for this, four five, twenty three. <laughs> which, <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. you know, you know. I, know, I know. So, so see, forty five and twenty three were the two numbers Michael Jordan wore in his NBA career. Oh, that's cool. Okay, that's really so. Cool. Yeah, so that's that's why that's significant. But as of as of uh, right now in April, and there's still well for so there's still eight months to go. There's still all the summer blockbusters. There's still all the Oscar movies come out in the fall, and there's still the Christmas releases. So you know there's there's still time. But as of right now, this is the best movie of the year um, for me. Um, uh, a lot of props to Ben Affleck for for both directing and performance. You know, he's gone from Dark Knight to Phil Knight, and, and <laughs> it's a it's a good job. <laughs> I, um, nice. I applaud that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, all around, I don't remember the last time I've seen this quantity of this quality performances. Like everyone brings their A game. Um everyone has their moments and they they take their moments, they shine in their moments and then and then they go back to sharing the moments. Like no one's no one's overtaking anyone. They're they're playing off each other. Um you know, and that's that's credit to them as actors and and Ben Affleck as a director. Um so it's it's this is about as solid as a movie you could get. So I'm gonna give this a very, very high flush, an air flush. And that's it's it's it, it's not a fucks for me because it's not the kind of movie that, that that leaves you inspired to go do something or something like that, but it, but you walk out knowing you saw something really good. So it's a very very high flush for me. See, um, so I think I'm pretty close there with you. Um, I'll I'll. I I don't think I can give it. I cannot give it a fucks. I don't think I can. Um, and, but it, it is definitely, it is a flush. It is a slam. It is a flying flush. So pretty much what Jay said. It, it, it is, it is a very high flush. Not that I can even find flaws in it, but it's just at the end of the day, I can't, I can't give it a fox. I can't say, like for me, a fox is well. I've only given like last year. I think I only gave one, maybe two, uh, fox last year. 
Um, so I, I can't I can't give it this. But I do agree also, while the year is very early and we're about to rev up into, as Jay said, summer, uh, Oscar bait, uh, Christmas releases. Like we're going to get a lot more stuff. But this has been a very wonderful amuse-bouche to what I hope is a fantastic season of, of movies. But a, a flying flush is what I give this. <clears throat> Looks like we got a couple of Detroit Pistons fans here. <laughs> hey, I'm a 76ers fan, baby. Um, like, uh, no, 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 no. Folks, folks, folks. Listen, if I was, if I was a, God forbid, like any other NBA fan, yeah, this is this is a flush. This is a this is, would be an air flush. I, I I agree with that. But no, no 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 no. Chicago Bulls, baby. This is a slam fucks for me. Um and like Jay, you mentioned that you only give a fucks. A fucks should really only be given when you're inspired. When when you feel when you when you're like wanting to do something, and. Uh, I, I'm being honest with you guys. The the monologues about Michael Jordan, the the last title card about what about Michael Jordan had me sobbing, had me remembering like just how great of a basketball player he was and what he meant, what he still means to me. And he's not even a character in this movie. And you know, I I was I was joking with these guys earlier off uh, off mic. That as I was cleaning my eyes from all the tears, this uh, woman next to me on my left just leans over and goes, goes, you're a Bulls fan, aren't you? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's very obvious. Uh, yeah, no, this this movie is current is currently my favorite of the year. Not just because of the Jordan stuff, but also because it just it's just so well performed. There's there's no fat on it, really. There really isn't like like a, a movie like this would have would go out of its way to waste minutes showing you the the home life of, of the of the of the leads. Right. We 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 have to have we, we would we would have to meet uh, Matt Damon's character's wife and kids. Uh, we would um, like we would have to 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 see like. Phil Phil Knight arguing with the board like like in a movie like that it adds all these trimmings and and airs like no it just cuts it all out like cuts it all out we we don't even really get to see the the competition trying to snatch Jordan away uh, this is a very lean movie and it it's to the point gets from point A to point B with great performances what more can you ask for what more can you ask for from a from a movie directed by 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 Hollywood or made in Hollywood, right? And yeah, this is this is a slam fucks for me, you know, as a Bulls fan. Um anytime you get to just feel the greatness you felt when you saw him play back in nineteen ninety seven, you know, I'm 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 always gonna give that a fucks, you know. So so yeah, yeah. Slam well, fucks. You know what, you know what so I was thinking about? You what? know what I was thinking about when you when you guys were saying all this? You could actually take this story and put it in a stage play, and you'd still have the same quality performance. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, you you wouldn't be able to have the Porsche though. 
And True. That that Porsche well, is pretty no. sick. Talk about it. You can do that. Talk about it. You can do something like that. Um, you can pull a war horse. Oh, true. <laughs> God, an animatronic Michael Jordan. Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. It'd be the whole. I know it'd be the car. Um, we, no, the only we, time we, I we ever... know you were joking. See, we no, know. you don't. I have to tell you this. Otherwise, <laughs> how will you know? Oh God. Oh, um, God. only time I ever saw Michael Jordan play was when he played for the Washington Wizards, and it was still pretty. It was still pretty incredible to see. No denying that. Yeah. Um, I I I, I saw him play, and it's like. Like it, it's still one of the clearest memories of my life, you know. What game was it? Uh, it was Indiana Pacers, and Reggie Miller was giving him the business, was giving him the business, and he just, he just like I, I all I remember was someone saying like, "Oh shit, Reggie Miller said something to Jordan," and I was, and everyone was like big smiles on their faces, and I'm like, "What? What? what why are you guys smiling?" And it's like, oh, now Jordan's gonna kick his ass. Was that was that the series where Reggie Miller like had a good night, and then the next game MJ just completely destroyed everyone? Yeah, and it was that next game that I saw. Oh, like, like, nice! Like the first, yeah, the, the first half, the first half, Reggie, and like, and, no, and just to say, people, Reggie Miller is one of the greatest basketball players of all time as well. Uh, mm-hmm. but Michael Jordan was like, like walked out. When they walked back into the court, swish, 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 swish. Ah, uh, ah, uh, yeah. The closest. To and that- you could talk about you could talk about like the confidence that like the Jordan family had and everything. Like, oh, we know he's great, but like, that was also part of part of uh, Michael's personality. Like, there's a story um, I heard where where he asked one of the players on the other team, like, "Who's guarding me tonight?" And I was like, "Oh, it's actually." We got a guy out, so it's the rookie. And MJ goes, 50. And then that night puts up 50 points. So it's just like, like he knew. Like, he they knew. So, like, like they're not being, like, assholes and and high ego here. Like, they they knew. And that's kind of, like, that's also part of the point of this film. Like, like everyone, everyone who saw him knew. So, this, and this is a true story. You guys can look it up. Uh... Michael Jordan, ever since he bought the Hornets, regularly invites UNC basketball team, uh, like the freshmen, the redshirted freshmen, to come to come to like his his mansion, uh, to just do a meet and greet to meet them and talk to them and stuff, and because he's from UNC, and that he will play these eighteen year olds, he'll play <laughs> with these eighteen year olds. And give them the business. And this guy is, is in his 50s. And he gives them the business. Of course, he's <laughs> Michael fucking Jordan, even though he's 50. Mm-hmm. God there's, damn. There is. So so he's a very he's a notoriously private guy. So he collects he collects like phones when people come to his house. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was like one like TikTok video of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And you just it's like. It, it's like three seconds long. Like it's all they were able to get. And Michael Jordan's just there like in his, in his, in his basketball shorts and his shoes. And he just like, and again in his fifties and just goes swish. And he's like trash talking like throughout that entire three second clip. He's just talking trash. <laughs> oh God. And you're like, you're like, motherfucker, you, you're in your fifties and you're giving these 18 year olds the business. 
But yeah, no. Um, back to Air. This has been this has been our review of Ben Affleck's latest movie, Air, Courting a Legend. Uh, this has been What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. Joined by our good friend Jay. See hey, you. guys. All right. Good night, everybody. Deuces. See ya.